Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. The key responsibility for anyone in the finance function is closing the company books on a monthly, quarterly, and yearly basis. And although to a layperson that may seem like a straightforward process, anyone with an accounting or finance background knows it's anything but. Filled with multiple stakeholders and dependencies, the financial close can be a complicated process for even a small organization. But that complexity can increase algorithmically with the size of an organization. In this sponsored episode of the Financial Executive Podcast, I speak with Nancy Wu, Head of Sales and Support at SkyStem. SkyStem provides account reconciliation and financial close applications for the enterprise. Nancy speaks about the increased use of automation in the financial close and how recent events, like the move to remote working during the COVID-19 pandemic, may have accelerated an already rapidly changing financial close process. You know, we're going to talk about the month-end close today um, and really the impact. You know, the, the month-end close is something that, you know, our membership and the listeners of the podcast are dealing with a lot, you know, given that they're in the controllership and the accounting function and generally in the finance function. But but let's just sort of, it's always good to level set in these conversations. Um, maybe you could define the month-end close and what are some of the, the critical activities that are done during the month-end close? So the month and close for most of the companies that we work with consists of a set of activities that accountants and finance professionals do to get from the period end, so end of the month, mm-hmm. to when they finalize their financial reporting. So when they finalize their numbers. So typically, um, this is just a simplistic illustration, but typically it involves closing out their subledgers. It involves um, doing calculations for reserves and accruals. It involves um, booking journal entries, uh, involves reconciling the balance sheet, you know, doing various analytics like flux and variance analysis and typically forecast and budgeting and all that. Um, and then finalizing the numbers on their trial balance, which then feeds to the financial reporting. So that entire process, we consider that month end close. And if I assume correctly, I mean, a lot of our uh, members and, and listeners talk about the month end close and then they have the quarter close and the year end close. So the, the month end close, I assume, is part of an overall process that feeds into the quarter and that feeds into the year end close. Yeah. So typically, if you do it at the end of the month, it's called month end. And at the end of the quarter, um, it's technically called quarter end or at the end of the year, year end. Uh, what that just means is that they um, typically have uh, an additional set of activities they have to do Mm. because of quarterly filings or year-end filings um, that they then have to tack onto their regular month and work. So, you know, typically every month companies are doing a hard close. It's just on a quarterly basis. There's more work involved due to filings and regulatory reporting. And then obviously a year-end is usually the big one. And when, when we talk about this, we talk about context, you know, obviously regulatory filings, you think about public companies. I mean, are the requirements different for closing periods when it comes to a public versus a private company? The requirements are very different, although the steps, I would say, are fairly similar. So 
publicly traded companies, um, depending on, you know, which country you're registered with. But in the United States, you're subjected to Sarbanes-Oxley and 404. And, you know, for example, we work with uh, banking institutions and there's a whole set of regulatory yeah. compliance work that they have to follow, um, whether or not they're public or, or private. Um, so typically with publicly traded companies, it's just a more formal infrastructure in terms of how they close. And usually that involves um, bearing the weight of producing more evidence of certain activities that they've done and then, you know, more compliance related steps. But the nature of the work has not changed and sort of the rough steps that um, I've outlined, it's um, fairly similar whether you're hmm. publicly traded or privately held. Now, I would assume, I mean, during any close process, there's a lot of documents going around, um, a lot of checks, a lot of, even some a fair amount of discussion. So given that context, and, and one of the things that there's always a lot of th- thought about going on in the finance function that we've heard about is the impact of the pandemic and, and how has that changed the relationships among the finance function and, and within the processes that they do. So how has the pandemic changed the month and close process? Well, I think to begin with, um, most of the time, this is just a generality, but back office functions are typically the last area to get focus on, to get budget and resources. So when we talk about technology advancements or, you know, automation, which is what we do, um, usually if you're part of accounting and finance and tax and treasury, you're kind of just like getting in line behind all the profit centers. So a lot of those groups um, historically have not had the benefit of a lot of investment in technology and automation. So when the pandemic hit, um, one thing immediately that was very clear is that, hey, we all have to stay home, for example, for, you know, undisclosed amount of time. And a lot of us are still are at home. Um, So when you're used to doing everything sort of the old fashioned way, you're dealing with, like you said, and paper and spreadsheets and, you know, you have to be in a certain place to collect those checks or to make something happen. The month and close all of a sudden became very, very difficult because you know, for safety reasons, we really can't all be together. So that was probably one of the things that, I would say executives, CFOs, controllers um, have realized in the last two years is that, hey, this is not necessarily like a nice to have anymore. It's more so if we want to be able to operate in, you know, this new hybrid world or remote world, um, it would be very helpful to not have to be relying on your papers and even the share drive sometimes um, can be just incredibly cumbersome to operate and you got a VPN in. It's just very, very old fashioned. So I'd say that's probably the first indication. Um, The second thing is, you know, the reality of budget cuts and resource constraints. And as, you know, companies scale up and down, and in this case, a lot of times very suddenly, um, it became very clear, you know, if you have a team of six, seven people in the accounting department, all of a sudden you're down to four. Um, The work still has to get done. Or the month and closed can't just stop. <laughs> you still have to do the same amount of work, except now you have either fewer resources or maybe you have new resources, you know, who are just a little bit green, who's not really familiar. Um, and that has produced um, just a host of challenges within the closed process. And again, this is not a, um, a series of steps that can't 
it's not, it's not like a nice to have thing. Like you have to do it. First of all, and you have to do it every month. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have to do it right. Um, there's not a lot of room for error when we talk about accuracy of the financials. Um, so this is a critical business process and just, it really cannot bear any interruption, whether it's due to location or geography or, you know, resources or, or skill. And that's really where we started seeing gaps um, from accounting and finance teams and the origin of how they start to reach out. You know, given, you know, you're, you said it's so such a critical process, you know, and, and um, you know, there's a lot of focus on it. I mean, was it the pandemic that made people rethink about automation? I mean, why has it taken companies so long to adapt automation in this area? We um, actually just earlier today looked at some benchmarking report that came out of PwC and they surveyed, um, I forget how many, a host of CFOs and executives um, asking them both uh, at the end of 2021, I'm sorry, at the middle of 2021, as well as the beginning of 2022, um, just to understand where their priorities are and, you know, very consistently the majority of executives within finance have said that digital transformation is going to be one of the most key areas that they will be working on in 2022 and beyond. And that's also what we've seen in the marketplace as well. Um, I don't think anyone has thought that, you know, technology and automation would not be helpful. There's, you know, this is real world. So there's always something else that is coming down the line that, somehow just takes priority over, you know, all of the housekeeping improvements that we want to make. Um, so, you know, if you're in a regulated industry, like we work with hospitals, we work with community banks and credit unions, like every couple of years, there's a new set of rules that you kind of have to, you know, get your, um, get everything, you get your ducks in a row and revamp new things and, find a different way to comply. Um, and that really keeps a lot of our finance and accounting professionals really, really busy. So I think that what the pandemic has done is to kind of just reset everything and say, hey, you literally will not be able to work effectively and efficiently if you don't do something about, you know, and this can be said for not just the month and close, but AP automation, for example, right? It's, it's the same exact concept. So one of the things, yeah, I, I totally agree, and that's that's one of the things one of the things we've been hearing from our membership or or even our listeners is, you know, there's a lot of trends going on in the in industry. It's just that the pandemic has accelerated everything, um, and mm -hmm. to to a rapid extent. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, one, one thing I want to ask you, so so for those who aren't familiar with the concept because you describe what automation of the month and close entails what are some of the common results that are seen upon automating the month month end so i'll give you some examples um one thing is your closing checklist right typically a company would have will follow a closing checklist as part of their month and quarter and year end close. And that could have anything from, I don't know, 50 line items to in some cases for our customers, you know, thousands of line items across different entities and different geographies and countries that you would have to follow. Um, so the traditional way of doing it is to have this checklist and maybe it's in a share drive and then people just take turns like checking it out and signing it and whatnot. Um, so one thing that we were able to do in terms of 
transformation just in this very small area is we set up a recurring checklist, right? So every task populates every month or every quarter is automatically assigned. It comes with email alerts. It tells you when something is late. And then when you do complete the activity within our solution, within ARD, you can actually attach things like policies and procedures. You can attach templates. You can attach supporting documents sort of in line with the item. So instead of just using a literal checklist, it's actually a multidimensional tool where you're not only keeping track of your stuff, which, you know, is important, but you also have access to, you know, very robust email alerting. You have access to the ability to create a center repository like right there. Right. And then your auditors can come in later. It just becomes very convenient. Um, one thing that a lot of our customers really love about automation within a close is the area of reconciliations. Right. So for a typical company, you're going to be reconciling anywhere between like a hundred and, you know, in some cases, thousands of tens of thousands of balance sheet reconciliations every month. Um, and this is an activity that you don't just do when you feel like it. There's a very finite period of time in which you got to get this work done. It's usually five to 20 days um, after the month end. So that can be really overwhelming if you want to you know, tackle all of these accounts, like hundreds of accounts and do it correctly. So something that we do, for example, is like right off the bat, we can cut out anywhere from 10 to 40% of that volume, like right away before you even start touching anything. And for our financial institutions, for our banks, for our credit unions, that number is usually higher. We're usually talking about 40 to 50 plus percent. So that is a very compelling um, value proposition for, let's say, accounting team of 10, where, you know, that translates directly into time saves. And that's just kind of just cutting the surface a little bit. And there's just so many more deeper functionality that you could achieve with automation. Um, you could achieve like automated review, for example. So your supervisor is not having to look through every single you know, document and the system can actually do part of that. Um, it's about figuring out how to really partner with technology and algorithms and that sort of artificial intelligence to help make a more productive month and close for, for the team. Um, some of our customers engage in what's called balance sheet flux um, and variance analysis. And, you know, traditionally that that can be easily done actually in Excel spreadsheets. And that's what most people do. And, and that's all and fine. But if you think about the steps to come up with that kind of analysis every single month, it's very rigid. It's very actually well suited for automation. Um, so we can get that automated, get that set up so that, you know, instead of having a person to handle steps zero through 10, the system can get you maybe through step four and then you just pick it up starting step five and then finish that off. And, you know, for some of our, for some of the companies we work with, it does translate directly into a shorter close cycle, which is always good. Right. Everyone's always looking for that. Um, but for other companies, it could mean things like a higher accuracy when it comes to the close, right? Fewer mistakes. It could mean the ability to do board reporting on a timely basis. So they can pull lots of real-time reports. It could be um, cutting down on the amount of time it takes to service their auditors because now you're kind of archiving your documents as you go. You know, and there's a lot of system controls that auditors just really, really love and they can log in and do what they need. So that results directly into time savings when it comes time for the audit, right? In addition, or perhaps instead of saving time on the month and close. Um, and we've had a company, this is off the top of my head. I mean, they 
all they were looking for is to go paperless. Yeah. <laughs> for them, they just wanted to be off of paper. So that, you know, this was a lot of value for this is a hospital system. There was a lot of value for them as well. Um, you know, most of the companies we work with, Chris, are growth companies, meaning that they're expanding, right. they're growing, they're trying to open up capacity in a way where they can do more with the same number of people. Um, but we do also work with companies that, you know, for example, um, there is a hospital that we've worked with. This is many years ago. They're no longer in this mode, but they were doing cost cutting. Yeah. So they, you know, wanted to freeze hiring. They are expecting attrition and they say, we need a way to be able to handle this because we're expecting, I don't know, like 15% fewer resources after, you know, 18 months right. or something like that. So um, there's a lot of ways to really supplement your existing process. Um, and sometimes when we talk to folks, you know, people tend to think, well, I already, I already know how to close the books, right? I've done it right. for a long time. I've been at the company for a long time. And, and this is not what these systems are about. Um, this is not what we're about. You know, we actually assume that you are closing the books pretty okay. You know, maybe not cutting edge, but you're closing the books, right? We work with companies that have been in business for over a hundred years, for example, there's a utility company out in the East coast. Um, and they've been around since like, I think 1900 something. Mm -hmm. So for them, this is not really about learning how to close the books. It's more so because we know how to do this and because we've done it the same way for, I don't know, 50 years. Um, how do we take this to the next level so that we're not just forever swimming around in our papers and spreadsheets right. and, you know, this checklist and that share drive and, did it get it? Did the work get done? Maybe I got to check. Um, so just rising above all that kind of conversation. Yeah. And I would seem that, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that about like resources and it's not just about, you know, you know, uh, controlling resources, but, but when you, what a lot of feedback or discussions we have our members is, you know, they have a certain, they have a team, they have a certain amount of people and freeing up their time to do other things. So are you seeing that? I mean, people are sort of leveraging the automation so their people can, resources can be put to other tasks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I'll give you a great example, right? If you have an accountant or a supervisor who is having to review 50 reconciliations, mm -hmm in an afternoon. This is actually really common. Um, that is a very different level of focus than if that person um, is looking at just five reconciliations because the remaining 45 are deemed by algorithms to be more likely okay than not mm -hmm. to be of good quality. Um, now, you know, nothing can ever replace human right you know, brain inspection. But if you think about those two scenarios in the first scenario, this poor person is probably flipping through like stacks and stacks of paper, just trying to get through everything and hopefully catching the material errors or, you know, coaching points. But in the second scenario, you know, his or her focus is down to like five of them. And, you know, she's looking through them with like laser precision and she's able to really catch important things and provide the coaching necessary um, because she doesn't have to be distracted by the remaining 45 accounts that are going to be no big whoops, to be right. honest. So that is a very classic difference between doing it sort of, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing it with your bare hands versus partnering up with a machine and with some automation help. Do you, do you, um, see, I mean, when, when, um, 
when I started covering this area, um, there was a lot of discussion about the movement to the cloud, right? Everything was moving to the cloud and there was a lot of uh, generational angst about that, right? There, <laughs> generational <laughs> angst is appropriate. <laughs> so I would assume you can see the same thing. Like you have my people, I trust my people to go through these documents. I trust them to go, go through this reconciliation. How can I trust this automated process? Do you, how do you overcome that sort of like, you know, obvious skepticism when it comes to these processes? Mm-hmm. The, re- the way you overcome it, there's actually nothing to overcome. Mm-hmm. The reason is because you design what you want the process to be and you train the machine right. to do what you say. So, for example, you know, you could say, hey, anything again, we're talking about reconciliations right, as right. an example, any account under $50, I don't care. Right. Right. So that is something you say and then you set it up in our program, which will then say, well, anything under $50, we're just going to close it out. Now, the moment it hits $51, it's going to flag it, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's going to require handling. So you're building out your vision um, through these algorithms and through the workflow and the process so that it ends up constantly executing upon your vision so that you can go take a break and maybe build something else or, you know, maybe focus on just whatever is coming out of the fray and really requiring, um, really requiring your analytics. Yeah. And you see, yeah. you see that argument resonating with the, the people like, you know, especially the leaders who are, who are adopting these things. They, they see that the, you know, the control they have over that as well. Yeah. We um, recently just um, signed an agreement this is, I want to say a mining company mm. and this is a fairly small team and the executive, actually the CFO, um, what he told me is that he knows how to do process improvement. He's done. I mean, this is like a 35 year veteran. He knows how to do this and he's done it, at, you know, other companies. So it's not for the lack of skill, right. In terms of improving right. that closed process for him, it's like, there's only one of him. And there's other initiatives that he needs to work on and his team is not very large. So is he going to spend his time, you know, trying to build this by hand or can he, let's say, set up the algorithm and the process workflows and the policies and procedures and then let the machine execute his vision here while he work on maybe budgeting and forecast improvements and transformations in that area. So it's not really a, a versus Right. Right. It's more so working together. Right. So let's say I'm, you know, a a CFO of a mid-market mining company, you know, thinking about adopting this. Um, How much time and investment is it in a typical team to get automation like this up and running? This is probably what is most surprising to companies um, that we talk to, especially for those that maybe have recently just gone through some sort of system implementation, like a ERP conversion. Um, it takes us about three to four weeks mm. to get this set up. It's going to mm. happen very quickly once um, we start. And something that is very special about how we do it uh, beyond the time frame is that we don't need to work with our customers' IT team. Mm which is often a blessing um, because IT is very stretched most of the time. And we also do not need um, our customers to engage with third-party consultants, which is a very popular model that, you know, other Mm. 
software companies um, like to employ. So there's some sort of revenue share. So it's just not necessary. The complexity of our system, the way it's designed, the the way we you know cater to mid-sized companies, um, it's just not necessary. So we get it up. It's about 20, 10 to 20 billable hours for us. We work directly with our um, customers accounting team. Um, we set it up in-house, we build it, the entire thing. Um, and then we show it to them once it's actually built. And we go through the site, uh, the final site review. We turn on the site, we train every single user at our customers um, finance and accounting team. So by the end of the same month, you're trained, all your accounts are set up, your users are set up, your month and close checklists are set up, all your thresholds are set up, your users are trained, you're going live. Yeah. <laughs> like off to the races. Right. Just jump right into it. <laughs> exactly. We, we talked a little about this, but I think this is a good point to sort of wrap the conversation and, and, and get, you know, the larger point. So, but we talked a little bit about this, but I want to get your sort of broader view of it. What do you see as the ultimate payoff when automating the month and close or any close process in general? What is the big or major resources does does it free up? I think it's really a couple of um, I guess it's a multi prong um, results that we see. One is the confidence around your month and reporting. Mm. That's actually probably the biggest thing, yeah. right? Consistency, precision, predictability. These are all things that we want when it comes to finalizing our financial reports and our numbers. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing, be able to stabilize, stabilize it in a way where you can predict month over month, day one, day two, day three, you know, this is where the red flags are going to be. I can run this report and see the, you know, whatever exceptions I need to handle. Um, and that comes with a lot of comfort right. um, in terms of, you know, do I need a check or I better dive in here and ask my staff 25 questions in which they're annoyed by. Right. Um, so I see that's probably the biggest thing. The second thing around capacity, it really is to create capacity. Now, if you have a five person team on in accounting, it's kind of hard to say you're going to be able to shave an FTE. That's probably not realistic because there's just not that many right, <laughs> right, of you right. there. Right. But where it does create capacity is that because we are reducing the amount of work that needs to be done during month end and at the same time, speeding up the review and at the same time, enhancing the quality, that does result in capacity created to absorb more. So for companies, for example, that, um, that do acquisitions, right. Mm. Or mergers or lots of sort of special projects. These are really great opportunities to automate because then the routine stuff, like the clothes, you're kind of just like keeping it down to a minimum in terms of not only time and resources, but also mental right. space, right. Mental stress. Um, so that creates capacity in your, in hours as well as mentally to then absorb sort of one-off things or more challenging things or things that you might want to really work on from like an improvement or strategic standpoint. Um, and then third, um, for companies that do get audited in any way is the auditability. Yeah. And that's also really huge. And, you know, uh, I used to consult for a lot of public companies. And one thing that we always tell folks is, you know, don't think that when you do the work, it's done yeah. because you're, you're do the work, 
And then you do another set of work to prove that you've done the work. And that is just the reality of your job. So you kind of have to do like two sets of work. <laughs> um, but that is without automation, right? So when you move to a platform that does digital signatures, that does audit trailing, that prevents segregation of duties, a lot of those sort of extra paper trail stuff that you would otherwise try to create for your auditors um, and have to be really diligent about um, is a complete afterthought because you just focus on doing your work and then all that audit stuff just gets taken care of in the back end by the machine. And that again, you know, not only cuts time, but is peace of mind. Right? Yeah. You don't have to worry about if, you know, my auditor is sampling 50, how many exceptions are they going to find? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. They can stamp, they can just audit the whole thing. <laughs> it's the entire population. Um, and you know, all the signatures and all the time stamping, everything is just going to be there. Right. Because right. it's just. Yeah. Those are all important points. Extra time, peace of mind, and less auto hours. <laughs> You know, <laughs> we we all love that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for taking the time and and, and having a discussion about this. It's a very uh, important issue for our members, so I want to thank thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me.